And welcome to the Interfaith Experience. Reverend Kenneth Boggs back in the studio. Good to be back with you today talking about following our intuition and the importance of that. But first, um, before I do that, I wanted to clarify two comments that I made in the last episode, um, which was about God as creation. I said the word panentheism when I should have said pantheism. Um, for me, God manifests creation from God's self, from spirit self, and that is pantheism. God is creation. Panentheism is God is creation, but God is also outside of creation. And the traditional Christian view is actually not either of those. Um, it's God God speaks all of creation into existence. Creatio ex nihilo, God creates and speaks out of nothing and creates creation and is fully separate from creation. And in the pantheistic view, God manifests creation from within God's self and literally indwells and is each and every one of us, each and every plant, each and every grain of sand. Uh, everything that you can think of is actually divinity. And so that's the position I'm coming from. So I wanted to clarify, I should have said pantheism, not panentheism. Um, the other thing I wanted to clarify, I mentioned how time and time again when people have near-death experiences that they often report seeing a light and being drawn to the light and being surrounded by a presence of unconditional love. That does happen a lot. There are also people who um, experience hell. There are people who have experienced hell, and I didn't mention that. So I wanted to say that, yes, I do acknowledge those near-death experiences where people literally go to hell. Um, but for me, hell is a state of mind, not an actual place. Um, I think we've been telling ourselves, at least from the Western Christian viewpoint, um, but also through the lens of Islam, um, and could be argued other branches of other religions have been telling us we're sinners on our way to hell. We have this one life, and if we don't get it right, then we're, we're going to go to hell. Um, if you look at the Buddha's awakening, he was tempted by this demon called Mara, and he had all kinds of experiences of uh, beautiful women trying to tempt him and riches and worldly things. And Jesus had the same thing, um, the devil taking him up on the top of the temple and offering him all the kingdoms of the world. For me, and I think what Buddha discovered was these were states of consciousness, states of mind that had to be overcome. And the way that the church... And the gospel writers chose to write about that was that there was a literal devil figure that came and tempted Jesus. And for me, it's it's not that way. It's not a literal devil. It's it's our shadow self, uh, the side of within ourselves that is present in everyone that leads us to do evil things. And that has to be overcome. That's what Buddha discovered on his way to enlightenment was he had to pass through those stages of consciousness and through these temptations just as Jesus did. If you watch the movie, um, like his last days in the desert with Ewan McGregor, where he plays both Jesus and the devil, it's the same figure. It's, he looks exactly the same. He's dressed exactly the same as Jesus. And it's literally his mind that, that Jesus is wrestling with. And I think that's what was going on in his 40 days in the desert. Doesn't mean that I believe there's not a literal devil figure, but I'm I'm wrestling with that right now. So uh, you know, I, I think these are states of consciousness more than anything. So I wanted to clarify those two things that people do experience hell, but I think it's because they put themselves there. And we've been telling ourselves that we're sinners on our way to hell for so long that so many people they don't know any other way of thinking about this. This is what the church has presented to them. And so when they die, they go where they've been expecting to go, uh, where they've been most afraid of, and that has to be overcome. 
Um, there should not be, in my opinion, there should not be a fear of death. It's, um, you know, the church will argue that death is an aberration, and it's the result of the fall. Adam and Eve sinning against God resulted in all of creation falling, all of us being born in sin, and we're all destined for hell unless we say this particular prayer and receive Jesus as our personal Lord and Savior, and then we're saved. That's language completely foreign to the early church, to the early Christians. Nobody talked about saying the sinner's prayer and making Jesus your personal Lord and Savior. That's a modern invention of the Protestant church in the last few hundred years. And I'm trying to kind of present a different view of Christianity and a different view of God than the traditional norm in our society. So anyway, it's all about where do you think you're going to go? What's going to happen next? And, uh, you know, if we live our lives in fear and we're afraid of God, then we're going to probably experience hell and separation. The reality is there is no separation. There's no place we can go where God isn't present. David said this in the Psalms. Like, if I go into heaven or into hell, God, you're there. You know, the, the Hebrew, the Jewish understanding of hell is far different from Western Christianity. And, uh, you know, the Eastern Church, the Orthodox Church, they get this right. But Western Christianity has gotten this vastly, horribly wrong. Hell is not a place of eternal punishment. This was never the Jewish view. This was never the view of the early church. But this was propagated by people like Augustine of Hippo, Anselm of Canterbury, um, Thomas Aquinas, and then Protestant theologians like Martin Luther and John Calvin, Jonathan Edwards, and it just has come down to our day as um, hell being a place of torment when Jesus was actually referring to Gehenna, um, the trash dump outside of the walls of Jerusalem, the old city where the temple was, where the Jews would burn their trash, and where in the Old Testament um, the god Molech was worshipped, and Molech the way he was given offerings was by offering the people would offer their children into this fire. And the priest would literally walk the child up and, and push them or lead them into the fire. And God in the Old Testament condemns that practice and, and tells the Jews not to do that. But Gehenna, this, what's called the Valley of Hinnom, rises across the valley from the Garden of Gethsemane. And, and across the valley is, is the, the old city of Jerusalem. And so... Jesus is warning them, you know, about this trash dump that's burning all the time. They, they kept that burning all the time. But it's not something that is um, an, an eternal thing. This is a metaphor. This is not something that's all of eternity. We have to understand how the Bible uses metaphor and allegory and symbolism, not, um, not thinking everything is literal. And that's the problem. Today's church interprets everything literally. And there are uh, scriptures that should absolutely not be interpreted literally. And so something else that I try to present a different view um, with a very loving God who does not turn his back on his creation, who actually literally is creation and walks with each of us and expresses himself or herself through the lens of each and every one of us. This is the Celtic view. Um, this is the view of Father Sean O'Lara, who I mentioned a lot. This is my view, that God is literally present within each of us and that he experiences life. She experiences life. God is beyond gender. It's source spirit is experiencing life as each of us. So I'll talk about that some more in a minute. I'm going to play a quick commercial, and then we'll be right back. 
Take control of your account and make interacting with Calitz PUD easy with SmartHub. Through SmartHub, you'll be able to view detailed usage information, make a payment, enroll in programs, set account notifications, and much more. You'll also receive important news and information about Calitz PUD and can quickly contact us with any issues regarding your service. You'll be able to put yourself in the driver's seat of your Calitz PUD account. Smart management, smart life, smart hub. All right, so coming back to that, you know, why is it important not to fear God in the way that we've been taught to fear God? God, the, the fear of God in the Bible is actually awe and a sense of wonder. Um, but it's it's not this, I'm afraid of being punished. And that's what we've been presented with for so long. That that's the predominant view of the war in uh, Western Christianity. Going along with that, you know, if you look at in uh, Genesis, no, sorry, in the book of Exodus, around chapter 3, where Moses meets God in the burning bush, and God says, I am who, who, I, am, who I will be, or I am who I am. Because Moses has asked the question, which God should I tell the, the Pharaoh and the Egyptian people has sent me to let my Jewish brethren go? And God says, I will be who I will be, or I am what I am. For most of Western Christianity, they've looked at God as being separate from us, and that being a statement of holiness— and Moses is supposed to take his shoes off, his sandals off there, and because he's on holy ground and he sh- he needs to respect this God. Um, I'm not convinced anymore that Yahweh of the Old Testament is actually God. I think the scholars have shown that Yahweh was a Canaanite tribal deity, a very minor deity in the Canaanite pantheon who gets elevated by the Jews over an 800-year period until he becomes the national god of Israel and eventually creator of the universe. And all of the ancient Near Eastern cultures did this with their gods. Many of them switched places. They had all kinds of different stories of how their gods became the dominant god and, you know, eventually became the one true god. And the Jewish people were no exception to this rule, and this happened throughout their history. You see a battle uh, within older translations of the Jews worshiping the god El or El Elyon, and then eventually that morphs into the god Yahweh, and the people's names change because names mean a lot in the Jewish culture. So you see people with given different uh, names with El, like places like Bethel, uh, different Hebrew names ending with in El, and then over time they begin to end in a form of Yahweh or Yahoo or something like Benjamin Netanyahu, the Prime Minister of Israel, Yahoo is a derivative of Yahweh. Um, so Yahweh becomes the national god of Israel and becomes the eventual creator of the universe, and that took about 800 years. I'm not convinced that Yahweh is the creator of the universe, but I'm still looking into that. But for me, God is consciousness. God is present within all. And um, the Sumerians, who had a, a huge pantheon of gods that came from a, a planet called Nibiru. They came and they brought civilization to the existing, evolving man and women on the planet, the Neanderthals and different groups that they took and combined their DNA with and, and convinced them uh, to become slave workers for them. That's what they created modern Homo sapiens for. And the Sumerian stories, um, you know, even they had a supreme being, a god that they recognized was the one true creator. I just finished reading the Talmud of Emmanuel, um, which is supposedly written by Judas Iscariot, a very interesting book, uh, to say the least, um, where you have Jesus teaching on the supreme God known as creation, and then Yahweh as 
this lesser God. And Yahweh was the father of the gods who came from the heavens and brought civilization to humanity and created us in their image and after their likeness, and that's why we look the way we do. But there was a supreme being that the Talmud of Emmanuel just calls creation. And that being is consciousness. And that's the one, that is the Tao, that is the Logos, that is the one who indwells all things. That's the God that I've experienced. Uh, when I go within in meditation, that's the God who is present. That is truly, I am who I am. That, that's the one who's within us. And that's the viewpoint that I come from. Um, and along with that is about following our intuition and why that's important to listen to the inner voice, the still small voice, the Bible uses that term, listen to the still small voice within, because that's the voice that will guide us, and that's the one that we often don't listen to. It's that gut feeling, it's that inner knowing. Something just either doesn't feel right or something is right, and that's the decision we should make, and it's, it's very quiet, and it's very still, and if we don't listen to it, and if we don't take the time to get quiet and tune in, we can easily miss where we're being guided. And so I want to talk about intuition and why that's important, because there's a, a rise in people that are interested in, in discovering their intuition and t intuitive voice and how to listen to it. And so this one article I've been reading about talks about intuition as, you know, I just get a vibe or it's a gut feeling or something I just knew from the beginning. It's mostly that intuition is, is a knowing or an insight or at least a subtle feeling that something needs some more attention. We need to pay attention to it. And the way we do that often is to get quiet. And in our busy society, we don't get quiet. So if you want to hear your intuition, you've got to slow down and you've got to get into a quiet place, especially if you've got major uh, decisions to make. Um, it's really important to get quiet and to listen to what your own inner self is saying and to not listen to what everybody else is telling you what to do or you know that sort of thing, but really what is my inner gut feeling about this? I've been wrestling with a couple of things on that myself this week and trying to listen to that still small voice and that, that inner knowing that's leading me and telling me what to do. So the best way, you know, four things that you can do to help listen to your intuition is to tap into that inner voice by getting quiet, either in meditation or a mindfulness practice, whatever it takes to, to just still yourself and go within and listen to what your, your inner heart and your mind are really saying. And then you can start by keeping a diary or a journal and writing down what, you, what it is that you're hearing, what thoughts are you hearing, what's your subconscious bringing up. Um, you can do that, especially first thing in the morning, and just write that down. And, um, and even do that before bed and kind of slow yourself down and write down what, what your inner thoughts are saying and then getting clarity and seeing patterns and, uh, you know, paying attention to dreams is another thing that you can do. You know, they can have an important information. Writing down your dreams first thing in the morning can really help in, in identifying patterns and themes that keep coming up. Is there could be important information. Lucid dreaming is something Father Sean talks about some, and the importance of listening and, and paying attention to patterns. Uh, the third thing that comes up on this list is to not judge your feelings or thoughts. You'll have an inner critic that's wanting you to go a certain way that might be ridiculing you or telling you to shut off your thoughts and emotions. Don't listen to what they're saying to you. 
one of the first things we have to identify and recognize is that we are not our thoughts. Thoughts come and go um, like clouds. If you sit in meditation, you'll begin to recognize these thoughts are coming in, but they're not mine. I mean, they're just, they're just coming in. They're coming in from all over the place. They may be coming in from the Akashic records, from previous lives, from interactions that we have. I mean, they can be picking up on other people's thoughts and emotions. Like our minds are far more powerful than we realize. And, you know, you might pick up on something, a vibe, a feeling, a thought from somebody. It's not yours, but you might think it is. I, I learned this as an empath, thinking that my anger or a particular thought pattern or whatever was mine, and it wasn't. It was coming from the people around me. I didn't realize that for a long time, and that was actually leading to a lot of physical pain and a lot of suffering. So recognize that you're not your thoughts and that you, you're just the witness, the, the conscious awareness that is witnessing everything going on around you. When you get into meditation and the quiet, you begin to see you know, and, and just observe thoughts flowing through like clouds. This is the, a good basis for Zen meditation to sit and simply be aware of your thoughts and observe them without putting any kind of judgment on them, just letting them be. And letting, and by extension, letting life be, whatever comes, just simply letting it be and, and being okay with that, not trying to change it. So by tuning into these thoughts uh, and feelings without judgment, we can begin to to see where our in intuition is actually speaking and where it's leading and guiding us. So four things that you can do to listen to your intuition is to listen to that inner voice. What is your gut telling you? To keep a diary or a journal, to not judge the feelings or thoughts, and to pay attention to dreams because they contain important information. If you want to really live the potential that you feel deep inside of you, maybe you're struggling with something more that I'm supposed to be doing and I can't quite put my finger on it. These are some techniques and tools that you can tap into that will um, help you figure out and understand what your potential and, and your purpose in life is actually supposed to be so you can walk in that. Um, I always feel like if you really love what you do, it's not work. You don't work a day in your life if you really love it. And uh, if you're not really loving it, then it's miserable and it sucks and you don't enjoy going. So find your life purpose. And if you're not sure what that is, pay attention to your dreams. Pay attention to your inner voice. Follow that and uh, listen to your intuition and your guidance. And get go within. Sit in meditation. Be calm. Uh, do some breathing exercises whatever it takes to get still and to find that you are loved constantly as you are. No need to change who you are. The divine presence is within you and it is all around you. And it is you and it is each of us. And when you feel that, when you tap into that, you'll find there's no separation between you and your neighbor. There's no separation between you and anyone. It's all one consciousness. Father Sean said that ego is a dream that soul is having. Soul is a dream that spirit is having. Spirit is a dream that source is having. And eventually, it's all returns back to source, to spirit, to God. That's the 
the uh, end result of where we're all heading. We have to wake up to that, to let the fear go, to not be afraid of death, to not be afraid of hell, to simply realize that we will return to our source. There's no other place for us to go. Anything else is a lie. It's designed to cause separation and fear. And when we live in a fear mindset, we see the results of what's going on in the world right now because we're living in fear. And the reality is all we have is change and impermanence and a recognition and a realization that we're going to return to our divine source. So if you can, pay attention to your intuition today. Sit still, be quiet, and just be aware of what's going on within you. Don't be afraid of being alone or being in that quiet space. So many people are afraid of of getting still. They can't do it. They're constantly moving, constantly checking their phone or what's going on with somebody else, or constantly engaged in conversation because they're afraid to be alone. In, um, intuitives, empaths, um, introverts are really good at getting alone. The mystics, you know, always are alone. And that is the place where God speaks. God as the inner voice. God as intuition. And that will lead you, even if you're not an introvert, it's okay. Find some time to be alone. Jesus did that. He found time to go up on a mountain to pray to be alone. And then he would go be with the people. Buddha did the same thing. So many religious teachers in history have done that. I'm not saying you should all become a religious teacher, but find a way to be quiet, to be still, and to listen to your own inner voice, which is the voice of God, leading you, guiding you, helping you cope with what's going on currently in our world, helping you to find stillness and peace. I wish that for you today. I hope you have a good week. We'll talk to you next time.